Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible of your own here with you this morning, you should be able to find one in the pew rack in front of you. And uh, we would say that if you don't have a Bible at all of your own, um, we'd invite you to take that uh, as a gift from us to you um, to hopefully use more of in the future. And as uh, BJ's already welcomed you, um, if you're newer with us, my name is Brian, and I also have the privilege of uh, being one of the pastors here. And um, this uh, weekend's been kind of a cool weekend. I had the opportunity to have uh, uh, my mother fly up from our homeland uh, of South Carolina. And uh, trust me, having lived in South Carolina, there it is a different land in some of those parts. Uh, but she'd be able to spend the last few days with us here. And I'm not sure why she didn't come earlier. I think uh, our winter would have been a nice relief from all that comfortable climate mildness stuff that they have in the South. But anyway, so she waited until it started turning green. And uh, in all fairness, uh, my family's actually no stranger to harsh winters. We actually grew up uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, and then uh, made the move to South Carolina when I was a teenager. And our family, having lived both in Ohio and South Carolina, we were actually surprised when we made that move to find out actually how many more ice cream shops actually happened to be in the icy cold Cleveland area that were only open maybe three or four months of the year versus that of the uh, hot and humid low country of South Carolina. You think, man, they would live off ice cream down there. But um, so we, could, we had a hard time finding ice cream shops when we moved down there. And so uh, our family did the sensible thing and uh, we just opened up our own. So that was our family business uh, all throughout high school, which uh, if you've do family business, you know there are definitely highs and lows, and particularly the food service side of things. And uh, I remember one day I was uh, manning the yogurt machines and ice cream scoops when this uh, woman walks in and says, um, and asks me, You're, are you the owner's son? Saying that uh, she could tell immediately um, that I was his son. And so I was sharing with my mother later that day uh, how this woman came in. She's like, yeah, this lady, she knew that I was dad's son, right at looking at me. She looked at me and she said, yeah, you and him, you have a lot of the same, uh, and I couldn't remember what she said, uh, aneurysms, you and your dad. <laughs> to which my mother gave me that very familiar sideways squinty-eyed look of mannerisms? Yeah, yeah, mannerisms. So, You know, when it comes to silly little misunderstandings like that, you know, it's not hard to find, and frankly, I could have used dozens of those stories because like me, you probably have dozens of funny stories of little misunderstandings that make for a uh, share-worthy story uh, in your life. And um, actually, the passage we're going to look at this morning in John chapter 4 uh, we encounter a woman who uh, encountered Jesus, and in the midst of that conversation, we see that there's uh, a misunderstanding. There is a misunderstanding between what Jesus is saying to this woman and what Jesus, or excuse me, what this woman is actually hearing. And so what we want to do here is uh, take a look at this misunderstanding, and then from there, the understanding that Jesus then brings to this woman, and then we could say, most importantly, the implications of that understanding for us here 2,000 years later. And so with that, I would invite you to uh, read this misunderstanding with me in John chapter 4, starting in verse 5. It says, so he, meaning Jesus, Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, 
you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, well, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so we see in this interaction that Jesus is offering her living water. And uh, we're going to explore further here in our time together what this living water is, or more specifically, as our series title suggests, what the gospel is, or, and gospel being just a fancy church word that literally means good news. What is this good news? What is this living water? And so as um, this woman seeks to understand what he might be saying, verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this, quote, living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and have to keep coming here to draw water. We're going to push pause there on that story and come back to it here in a little bit. But clearly, as you see the exchange between Jesus and this woman, uh, she's, she's obviously very interested in whatever this living water is, is because uh, it's pretty clear this sounds like some good news, that this idea of never thirsting again. But clearly, the way she's asking for it and even kind of maybe catching some of the metaphor in the story, it's pretty clear to us reading that she is unclear, we could say, as to what exactly Jesus is offering, to what exactly this living water is all about. And I think in fairness to this woman, um, we are not actually too unlike the woman in this story in our own day and age, and that we too often hear expressions and metaphors um, about what our faith is all about wrapped up uh, maybe in a little soundbite, we little maybe scripture quotations or catchphrases that we see on billboards or bumper stickers or maybe on t-shirts. Uh, and we see these things like, uh, Jesus is the answer. And Jesus saves. And then uh, pertinent to our series title, Jesus is the good news. Which I would say all of that sounds good. It sounds nice uh, enough. But in fairness, in the effort to seek clarity, um, we could ask, okay, if Jesus is the answer, well, what's the question? Or what, I mean, what is, what is Jesus the answer to? And this idea that Jesus saves. Okay, you see that? Saves me from what? Um, I, don't, I don't know that I needed rescuing. Or, in the case of our series, Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the good news. To which we should ask, okay, what is so, quote, good about this good news? And then the woman at the well herself, as she asks Jesus, what is this, quote, living water? 
And so do these questions, uh, or these questions behind the questions, how important is it that we have an answer to what these questions are actually answering, if that makes sense, and that they're plastered on uh, arguably billboards and bumper stickers for the world, for people who don't know anything about Jesus or this good news to see and hopefully um, maybe encounter it. But in fairness, um, as we think about the questions behind the questions, like what is this good news? What is Jesus the answer to? Um, Can we even, uh, those who sit in pews maybe on a regular basis, do we have an answer to the question behind the question, what is Jesus the answer to? What does he save us from? What is so good about the good news? Well, the Bible says that we should have an answer to those questions. As it says in 1 Peter, uh, to quote, always be prepared, always be prepared, excuse me, prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And so scripture says we should have answers to these questions. We should know the reason for the hope that we have and be able to give that reason as to why we believe in, quote, the good news of Jesus Christ, whatever that, of course, is. And so what we want to do in this series is we want to make, um, you could say, articulate what might otherwise feel vague. Uh, We want to make very uh, clear what could be uh, somewhat unclear, or uh, maybe the best way to say it is we want to make explicit what we sometimes take for granted as implied or implicit about what is this good news. That we just kind of assume, oh yeah, we're all in. Jesus is the answer. Uh, Jesus saves. Uh, Yeah, the living water. Uh, I believe in the gospel. Sure, I believe in the good news. And, and, And take these otherwise, what we risk making them and leaving them as cliche church sayings and really discover, really discover, maybe for you, maybe for the first time, what is... Uh, the Christian faith is actually rooted in where maybe a bumper sticker, a billboard hasn't been able to fully answer, while true, hasn't been able to fill in all the blanks. Or maybe for others for you who've been around this for many years, it will be and serve as a rerouting, a fresh look at what the Christian faith has always been about for you. However, if honest, uh, if ask the question, hey, what's the reason for the hope that you have? You might stumble and stammer and say, yeah, you know, I might have trouble um, explaining this living water, uh, giving the verbiage to what the good news is. I might, it might be a challenge for me to, quote, actually give a reason for the hope that I have, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15. And so hopefully this will serve to help you make more articulate what you imply you feel like you already know as we look at what is this good news. And so... I know we keep asking, answering questions with questions, but one more question we need to answer as to why we even move forward in this discussion. Like, you know, well, why do we need to have a reason for the hope that we have? Why do we need the ability to be able to explain this good news if we, we kind of know that Jesus saves and that's good enough? Why do we have to even have this conversation all over the, today or the next several weeks? Well, for one, 1 Peter 3.15 implies that the reason you need to have this is in case someone asks. You know, should someone ask you, why do you believe what you believe? It would imply that you want to be able to have a response for their sake, for their sake, so they can know of this good news. And then secondly, kind of beneath all that, while this might seem painfully obvious, I think it bears saying that you might want to have an articulated reason for what you believe so that you know why you believe what you believe. And that, for me, while I recognize I won't have all of my questions answered about life and faith, this side of the grave, I do, uh, if, especially if I'm gonna say that the Christian faith is the central reason for my existence, I do, for my own understanding, wanna be able to explain uh, my faith and what I believe, 
even if just to answer it for myself, even just answer for my very self what I believe and, and, what, and, and what I believe and why I believe. And I would suspect you too would want to be able to answer that for yourself. And then thirdly, one that uh, I think another one we can sometimes miss is that it matters ultimately what you believe because what you believe in the end shapes everything you do. You know, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, yeah, okay, I know I'm supposed to believe this and believe that, but I'm kind of a practical nuts and bolts guy. I'm like the guy who likes to skip the philosophical stuff at the first half of the book and get right to the practical. What do we got to do? What's the, what's the nuts and bolts? And uh, the problem with that reasoning is that, again, everything at its core um, is based on, everything that you do is based on, at some level, what you believe, whether consciously or subconsciously. For example, every one of you confidently sat your selves down in your pews today with the understanding that these four legs that hold these pews up would support you. And so even at a subconscious level, you believe that this chair or other four-legged chairs, you believe that those four legs will hold you. Therefore, you confidently do sit down. And so as silly as that is, it just represents that even in the simplest of things, in everything we do, what we believe shapes everything that we do. And so for those reasons, both for others' sakes, for our sake, and for everything that we do, we want to help uh, both today and in this series give you and articulate the reason for the hope that you have. Uh, and so I want to try to share this in um, this good news in as clear a way as I think um, I've come across that will both help you be able to articulate it, hopefully for yourself, as well as should someone ask. And so with that idea in mind, everyone, and I'm not sure everyone did get one, but you should have got a napkin on your way into worship, wave it in the air like you just don't. I'll stop. Okay. All right, so everyone got a napkin. If not, that's okay. Just use the back of your bulletin. And the reason um, you received this napkin was the idea that while this good news that we're going to explore is uh, arguably very deep and rich and complex in a good way, it is also very, very simple. So simple, in fact, that we should be able to explain it uh, to ourselves or to someone else over, you could say, coffee on a napkin. And so uh, I'd encourage you, if you're so bold, to, I think it'll work with a ballpoint pen. If you want to take your notes on the napkin this morning, I think that will be helpful as to what we're going to do. I have my own kind of giant digital napkin here that we're going to be using uh, to kind of explain. And just before you get ahead of me, some of you think I'm going to draw a bridge and, and little gaps and things like that. It's, it's actually quite different. So um, hang with me on that. And so uh, in an effort to understand what this living water is, what this good news is, for a reason, for the hope that you have, when we consider what this faith is all about. And we start with God. And we think about God, we think about who God is and what God has to do with us as human beings. The first thing we have to know, the first starting place that we have to accept is that God, whom I will represent with this halo, because God's holy and all that, um, God is for us. God is for people, and that when God looks upon us, he smiles. Uh, that we are created in his image. Now, the reason this is such an important starting place is because for so many, uh, so many in our world, they view God, you could say, not with a smiley face emoticon, but instead maybe uh, an angry face, maybe a judgmental face, Viewing God as someone who primarily sits up on some sort of sky throne looking to zap anyone. It gets out of line even just a little bit for every sin and for every mess up. 
However, in the scriptures, when it comes to God and specifically his response to our sins and our mess up, here is his response in arguably the most well-known verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16, that actually God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay, and many of us know that verse or have heard of that verse, but verse 17 really drives this home. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so we see in one of the most popular verses of all time that God is for people. And this is really good news for so many because he see, they see that God is not against them. But that's not enough. Uh, as God goes further than that, that God shows us that he's not just distantly for us, some far off God in the sky somewhere, but furthermore, that, that he is a close God, that he is actually with us. That God is with people. And so this will be us over here, which will be represented by a baseball cap, because that's what people wear, not halos. Um, and uh, that can be a Cubs hat or a Cards hat, whatever gets you through the baseball season here. No banter about that? Nothing? Really? Wow, okay. Give another month. <laughs> It'll get a little more heated. Okay. And so God is with people. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament. We see that God is with the nation of Israel by, uh, as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. We see that God is with Moses as he speaks to him in the burning bush. We see that God is with Joshua as Israel prepares to conquer the promised land. We see God is with Daniel in the lion's den. We see that God is with uh, Elijah on the mountain. And, and so the list goes on and on for us. But um, and so we see that uh, God being with us and with people is certainly a next step up from God being for us. However, there is still a gap. There is still this reality that even though God is with us, he still feels very different from us. That, you know, God has his perfect halo and we uh, kind of as imperfect human beings have uh, just our baseball hat that as it says in Romans that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God uh, and so unfortunately we are separated from a perfect God because of our imperfect sin and so that makes us sad and that's a big frown so very sad guy and so, and I think this sad face is, um, or this disappointed face, you could say, is best represented, uh, this gap is represented and expressed well in a song um, that some of you may remember from the 90s. Sorry, I'm falling apart all over the place. Wow. All right, let me just sit, okay. 10 more minutes, I'll be ready. This is the video service, isn't it? It's good. All right. I was going to say that if you wear glasses, the nerdiest thing you do in your life is fix your glasses. Okay, that makes me sad. All right. So, this sad face, this disappointment with God is represented well in a song. This is ridiculous. 
There we go. We're going to use that. Uh, a song by uh, an artist entitled Joan Osborne, titled uh, One of Us. Some of you may remember the song. And uh, the pre-chorus, she sang, Yeah, yeah, God is great. And yeah, yeah, God is good. And yeah, 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 yeah. And then the chorus. But what if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. And so, yeah, yeah, we could say that's a good question. Uh, That's a very good question to which there is actually a good answer. And that good answer is what we call good news. Good news that God doesn't just stop there. He doesn't leave us asking and trying to answer the question of, you know, what if God was one of us? That, uh, yeah, sure, he's for us. Yeah, sure, he's with us. But we see in John 1.14 that the word, meaning Jesus is God, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love the way that uh, Eugene Peterson translates this, that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That God moved into the neighborhood in Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to our giant napkin, we see that in Jesus Christ, um, he puts on a baseball cap. In that he is one of us. He is one of us, that he is not just for us, he is not just with us, but what if God was one of us? In Jesus Christ, God becomes and is the answer to that question. He is one of us. And so still, even though we say that's good news, the question we've been arguably aiming to answer is why? Why is this good news? What is good about this, so to speak, good news? Why did Jesus put on flesh and blood and, quote, move into the neighborhood? Well, Philippians 2 gives uh, a just a beautiful um, rendition of everything that Jesus did. And we're just gonna look at some of it and, and why this is such good news. In that it says first that Jesus Christ, who, by the way, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And so this is saying that Jesus voluntarily steps out of his God-given status as 100% fully God and steps into full humanity in the person of Jesus Christ here on earth. Verse seven. It says he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant by being made in human likeness. And so what did Jesus then do with this human role, with putting on the baseball cap by moving into the neighborhood? It says, verse eight, that being found in the appearance as a man, what he did with his humanity is he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. He became obedient to death, and not just any death, but it goes on to say, that God voluntarily subjects himself to, verse 8, even death on a cross. Because Jesus came as a friend of sinners, Matthew eleven nine, of which we all are. And then from there died for us and our sins. 2 Corinthians five twenty one, that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so that, of course, makes us smile. I left off my smile face there. And beyond that, when we experience this, this is the best part. 
when we understand the implications that God is for us, with us, one of us in Jesus Christ, well, then that compels us. That leaves in our court the opportunity to respond and to accept Jesus Christ to be in us. And so, in Jesus Christ, as we accept him as our Lord and Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit being put in us, we then get our halo. We get our halo when we receive Jesus Christ into our lives as the power of the Holy Spirit as comes upon us and is in us. As it says in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that when you believed, when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you then were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit, who is God inside of you, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The praise of his glory. And so with God in us through the Holy Spirit, we then now have the opportunity to go and be, um, as C.S. Lewis calls, little Christs, that Jesus is in us. We get to be little Jesuses, you could say, in our own worlds, our own context. Uh, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, which we looked at a little earlier further, it says that we are, quote, Christ's ambassadors. We are his ambassadors. We are his representatives, being the tangible touch of Jesus Christ, being the tangible touch that this is true, that God is for us and with us and one of us and wants to live in us that that is the good news, that this is the living water, that we do indeed have this reason for the hope that we have. That hope being that even in the midst of life's hopeless situations, that Jesus Christ is in us, not just for, with, and one of, but he's actually in us, working through the good and the bad in our life, shaping us to become more like Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so from there, as we receive all this into our own lives, uh, as good news tends to be, we don't like to keep good news to ourselves. We share good news with other people. We don't keep it to ourselves. And I think sometimes that concept of sharing the good news, uh, we make a little more challenging than it needs to be. Um, I do recognize there are challenges to it. But um, when you think about other contexts, again, good news that you come in contact with uh, in other areas of your life, as you think, I don't know if I could evangelize someone. I don't know if I could explain the reason for the hope that I have. Um, an example of, I think, where we do this would be, um, think about the, let's put it this way, think about the funniest video you've ever seen, whether like a YouTube video or maybe a Facebook post or um, something like that that, uh, or was emailed to you or whatever. Now think about your funniest video. You gotta get it in your mind. Trying to laugh to yourself because they usually do stir up funny thoughts. Okay, now with that video, did you keep it to yourself or did you forward it? Did you share it? Did you say, hey, come, you gotta go see, look at my phone, look at this video. Did you share it or did you keep it to yourself? You shared it. You said, hey, look, Charlie bit me and it really hurt. (laughs) Or hey, look, here's our pastor on video trying to do a British accent, it's so bad. (laughs) And the reason we share it is because, A, we buy in that, okay, this video is funny, and then B, well, it's good, so we pass it on to somebody else. And so how much more, obviously, if this is good news that we actually buy into, do we then want to find a way to share it with others, whether through a napkin or through our life or both? And so we see that. This good news owned and this good news shared exemplified in the remainder of our story of the Samaritan woman. So follow back again 
John chapter four, as we left off in verse 15, uh, with the woman and Jesus talking, she said, sir, give me this water, this living water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. And so to bring clarity, Jesus does this. He says in verse 16, um, go call your husband and come back. Well, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is pointing out to her uh, in a caring and loving way, illustratively, that the water wells of this life are not satisfying her. They're not working for her. And so you see down, if you jump down to verse 25, in this caring conversation, Jesus, the woman says to Jesus, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then here Jesus lays down what this whole conversation from the very get-go has been all about. As he says to her, verse 26, Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. I am this living water. I am the good news Jesus is saying. Or in other words, Jesus saying, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to condemn you for your sin, for your past, for your mistakes. But John 3, 17, I'm not here to condemn you, but I am here to save you. I am here to show you that I am for you. I am with you. I have become one of you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I might live in you. And so she receives this message. She receives the good news. And in verse 28, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to all the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Verse 39, if you want to jump down there, we see the implications and the results of her sharing this good news with others. It says that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that he had told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, but now we have heard for ourselves. We have experienced him for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. And so we see in this woman a a far journey from the beginning to the end in that she has both experienced and shared this good news, this living water of Jesus Christ, and that others too have received it and also have experienced it, that we would suspect they too will share it, of which we are now the recipients of centuries later of the sharing and the receiving and the sharing and the receiving and the sharing and the receiving and the sharing of Jesus' good news. And so throughout this series, we are going to look at the many, almost like a diamond, the many facets of, as you kind of turn a diamond, the many facets of the good news, while simple, has a richness and a depth to it that we can continue to own and understand more of, that we might more naturally then share this good news with others, that um, we don't only experience and tell people on a napkin that, uh, not that that's not bad, it's good, that God is for them and with them and one of them and wants to live in them, but that we as Christ's ambassadors, as representatives of him, we can leave this place, not 
leave church, but actually go into the world and show that we too, as Jesus ambassadors, being the tangible touch of Jesus Christ in everything you do, in your family, in your home, in the grocery store, at your school, wherever your feet may bring you, that you too can be for people, that you can be with people, that you can be one of them and share in their hopelessness, that you might show them the hope of Jesus Christ, that just as he lives in you, he can live in them as well. And so that's what we're going to be about as a church always, and that's what we're gonna look at as we approach uh, Easter and how that was all uh, solidified in Good Friday and Christ's resurrection. And so to that end, I invite you to pray with me here this morning. Father, that's our prayer, that we would own more of the reality of the hope that we have. Uh, you know, sometimes we see I mean, a whole series on the gospel, this uh, forgive us for when we just see it as this basic transaction between us and you that kind of gets our ticket to heaven or something worse than that. That God, that you gave us Jesus Christ, that we celebrate him each week in communion because it's not basic, it's foundational. It is um, not something we move on from, but is in everything we do as followers of you. And so help us to own that and come awake to that all the more in our lives that we might then share that with other people um, who may not know it, who may not, not uh, understand it, both through our actions and our words. And would you help us with that? As it says in your word that the Holy Spirit will also give us the words to say. Then Lord, lastly, for those who have never received that last picture in their lives, that they have never received you into their lives, maybe because of never having the opportunity or maybe just never understanding that you truly want to free them from their sin, both eternally and in this world. You wanna help them be free of that life and give them new life where you are in them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, for those who are here today, I know that it's no words of mine or any preacher that has anything to do with any of it. As it says in your word, we plant and water, but it is only you that grows. That, that changes hearts. It is only you. And so, Lord, that's why we pray. Because we pray that where hearts need to be changed, you would change hearts. And that those uh, here today who need to turn their hearts over to you uh, would not leave this room until they've shared that, that profession of faith uh, with someone else. And so would you lead us uh, respectively where we are in this good news of you, that we might own it and share it by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I love agreeing in prayer with an amen. And so with that, I invite you to stand with me. And um, we're going to sing the exclamation mark of this good news. As we're going to sing what we drew on napkins, what we know to be true uh, in this final declaration. As we not end the service, but start uh, into the worlds that we live in every day. And so as we do that, um, as we do regularly here, there'll be some folks up here who'd be honored to pray with you about any need in your life. But we'd say today, most importantly, should it be you who needs to receive um, that heart change from Jesus Christ, that he wants to live in you, that you want to accept him maybe for the first time in your life. Uh, maybe you accepted him once before and you've, you've strayed and it's been some time and you're back in church and you're maybe back exploring and you want to talk to someone more about um, kind of rededicating your life to him and to his work in your life. Well, then again, there'll be some pastors here and some leaders who would love to talk with you and pray with you about that decision. Uh, don't walk out that door without first talking uh, with someone else 
about that. And so we invite you to pray about all these things as, again, we sing the good news. Would you sing with us?